Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Paul Noble, BMO's head of energy trading. This episode is titled Crude Reality. I'm Ben Reitzes, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. First time on. I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. Um, energy is a huge topic and you can fill a lot of gaps on that front, not just for me, but uh, for all of my listeners as well. Thanks for having me, Ben. You know what? Let, let's let's go right into energy and I'll, I'll talk about the rate stuff a little bit afterwards. Maybe I'll do a halftime show on on CPI and, and, and the Bank of Canada just because it is still related to energy. Paul, and oil markets have been insanely volatile over the past few weeks, I guess, really longer than that. But I don't know if everyone pays as much attention to them as you do. Probably not. Rates markets have been crazy volatile as well. And, and I think that's, I mean, not not unrelated by any means. Uh, oil has gone from like 120 bucks a week ago to 105 bucks right now. It was almost at 100 bucks this morning, uh, all over the place. Let's start with the, the, I guess, the latest news. What's the latest driver here? Why, why is it down so much? So, you know, <laughs> Right now, the energy markets are, like you said, are very, very interesting. The general theme of the markets is very, very bullish. The markets are tight. However, currently, we're seeing builds and inventories, not significant builds, but enough builds in the last month or so um, due to the Chinese lockdowns, due to um, release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, and you know that is that is driving a little bit of I don't want to say weakness, but softening in physical markets. And so as you kind of see this very, very frothy market, um, you know, took off after the after the war, after tanks started to roll. Um, now things are adjusting, governments have intervened, and you're starting to see that impact in the physical markets. Okay, well, you're saying, so citing specifically China and the SPR release in the U.S., both of those are time limited, though. I mean, China, I mean, probably debatable there because COVID's probably not going anywhere. So more lockdowns are, are feel like a certainty at some point. But let's just say China reopens at some point in the next few months, uh, maybe weeks uh, fully. And the SPR release is only, I'm assuming, a few months. It's a million barrels a day for... Through October. Okay, so until October, so until the fall. What happens in the fall? I mean, it's not like Russia is just going to turn the taps back on or... We're not going to let Russia back into the world economy and back into the global oil market. Does that mean this pullback in prices is just a temporary reprieve? Yeah, I mean, I think that this this is an adjustment period. And, you know, as you stated, the markets are very volatile. The markets are very illiquid. And so, you know, the way that I'm seeing it is that the way what governments have done and what the Chinese lockdowns have done is it's taken the edge off this market. You know, you've heard calls for $150, $200 oil. 
Well, if you look at refined products, heating oil, $180 a barrel currently, gasoline, $150 a barrel currently, you know, very, very expensive. And I don't necessarily think that you're seeing real hits to demand. You know, as we as we spoke about earlier, you know, we're seeing we're seeing airlines cancel flights and not due to low demand, but due to staff shortages. And so that's taking demand out of the out of the jet fuel market. You know, in addition to that, you're seeing you're not you don't have as many truckers around. You don't have as many trucks on the road. And so what's that's taking diesel demand down as well. So generally speaking, you're seeing these demand weakness uh, that are maybe not actual consumer financial, you know, financial conditions tightening, but more pandemic hangover type demand losses that, you know, will normalize over time as the economy normalizes. Okay. So sound sounds to me like my bullish thesis, which has clearly been wrong for, I don't know, 10 days, um, should remain intact. I, I, my, my expectation that uh, 150 would come before hundred, I guess that, that might be wrong still. Um, but we still probably have higher prices at some point ahead unless we get a deep recession, I feel like. Is that that fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, if you look at past recessions, it's it's roughly about a million barrels per day in the United States of demand losses, um, with the financial crisis being somewhere closer to 3 million barrels a day. Um, so depending on your view on how steep of a recession we're in for, that can kind of give you a good gauge of, of the type of demand losses that we'd expect to see, um, given given the you know the varying degrees of, of severity of the recession. But I think it's really important that the the markets like to understand that markets have structurally changed. You know, when you look at U.S. shale, for example, you know there's been a lot of negative sentiment towards um, the industry. And capital has responded. Investors expect capital return. They expect capital to not be chasing significant decline rates and and be significantly levered. And, you know, I think that's changing the way that the producer community is behaving. And so, you know, you you only have to look to, you know, all of the different MDNAs to see what management teams are talking about. And they're not talking about chasing decline rates. And out of control growth. They're talking about 5% compound annual growth rates. They're talking about returning cash to shareholders. And they're talking about, you know, running a responsible company. And I think if you also look at the hedge profiles of some of these big producers, you're going to find nothing. The they've, They have really throttled back on hedging. And I think that that is also kind of a game changer in terms of companies sticking to their strategy. And so when you think about supply being more responsive to price, I think it might be more responsive to price to the downside because there is cost inflation in production. There are labor shortages. And so if you do see a price decline, I think you see production responses as opposed to the top side where I think producers want to maintain, you know, a steeply backwardated forward curve. They want to you know, create an incentive to just be responsible and to uh, and to keep the oil price high. Can you quickly um, just explain for listeners out there what a backward dated curve is? Because I'm not sure that everybody knows exactly what that means. Just simple. Simple. Sure. Simple. Um, backwardation is when the the prompt futures prices are higher than the uh, forward prices. So, for example, if you're using $110 as your prompt futures price, prompt being the current month. Which is uh, which is August right now, 
um, December might be $100. So you'd have $10 worth of backwardation. And so the steeper that curve looks, the more urgent the supply issue is in the front. And so when you look at the, if you look at the curve um, from the war to now, I mean, it was extremely steep when tanks rolled and we flattened a lot. And that has to do with SPR releases and kind of, as, as I stated, you know, uh, lockdowns in China, taking demand out of the market. All right. So the more, the more kind of, I guess, downward sloping the curve is from the front month further out, uh, the greater urgency there is for, for barrels to come to market immediately. So it, it really incentivizes supply. I guess the, the lack of supply response is, is part of why I've been or, and, and continue to be bullish on this. And I think that was, that was clearly what you're trying to tell us here is that there just isn't the, the same supply response to higher prices that there used to be. And, and, and that doesn't look likely to change either, uh, given kind of the longer term outlook for oil and uh, ESG and, and just the electrification of, of the world. Uh, and that, that whole thesis suggests that oil is going to be a more challenging product to take out of the ground, generally more expensive uh, for various reasons. Curious about products, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, all that kind of stuff. I read as recently as today that that's, uh, some refineries, I think in the U.S., were uh, taken offline permanently in the pandemic. Uh, is, that, is that true? And, and, and I guess that explains to some extent why gasoline prices, why diesel prices, why other product prices have remained elevated despite oil prices coming down the way they have. Well, I think one of the interesting things is when, when the war broke out in Ukraine, um, U.S. refineries are in maintenance. And so we are running at about 88% utilization um, at that point in time. And so there wasn't enough uh, refinery capacity at that time to really make up for any supply losses. And so when you had um, you know, Europe panicking for product, um, those product markets were, were, were crazy. Um, and you had, you had diesel well over $200 a barrel um, during that time period. You know, since then, as we've gone kind of through May and through June, we've seen refinery utilization go from 88% to about 93.5%. And so we're starting to see, um, you know, some builds in product inventory, and we're starting to see product prices come down a little bit. You know, that's kind of the mechanism of balancing, right? During refinery maintenance, typically you would see crude stocks build, and then you would see product stocks draw. And as refineries come back, you would see product stocks start to build and you'd see crude stocks start to draw. Now, what's not happening is the crude stocks aren't drawing, you know, and as mentioned, a lot that a lot of that has to do with um, the SPR. I mean, that makes good sense. You talked earlier about liquidity in, uh, in, in the energy market and you, you trade energy markets. Um, liquidity has been a big theme in, in, in Canada, lack of liquidity, I guess, probably a better term. Uh, and, and in the U.S., we've also seen U.S. rates markets. We've seen liquidity deteriorate as well. How is positioning in your market? Is 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 liquidity an issue there? Um, and and could that have been a driver behind the decline in, in prices? Or I know a lot of people out there are very bullish oil, including me. Uh, it's is positioning skewed that way as well? Yeah, I think that there. Are, I mean, I think positioning is definitely skewed long, but I think that the net length is not nearly as high as people might think, and open interest is also. Um, quite low, relatively speaking. And I would say that um, on days like today or days like Friday, when you saw a $9 decline in price, 
um, that it is it is the machine. It is very challenging to interact with the market. Um, you know, bid offer spreads on on options are are astronomical, um, and and you know, getting any meaningful size down in the market can be can be a real challenge right now. And and it's and it's kind of broad based across markets. I'd say the products markets are even worse than crude proper. And natural gas has also experienced phenomenal volatility um, over the last few months. You know, as inventories are relatively tight, weather is rel- is very supportive, and the war in um, the war in the Ukraine is putting significant upward pressure on European natural gas. It's definitely hot outside today, so I'm sure my air conditioning is 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 cranked as high as it can go. Uh, me and me and everybody else in the city. Natty gas is is clearly important in all of this. Why don't we broaden this at least a little bit because this will this will uh, impact oil and gas. Hurricane season's coming. It is June twenty second. Hurricane season starts in two months, give or take, a little less, six weeks. So we're already tight on production. Refineries are running at full steam ahead, pretty much. I I think that's full steam, ninety whatever percent. I mean, can they get more? They can get higher in theory, but not on any. Consistent basis, and even running in the low 90s, I think, is hard to do on a long-term basis. What happens if there's a storm in the Gulf Coast? So yeah, I mean, you know, look, focusing on oil and products, I'd say that the market is in a very vulnerable spot with low spare capacity. You know, we haven't talked about OPEC spare capacity, but on paper, it's about two million barrels a day. So right now, there's not a lot of wiggle room. If well, you do what have- is it in reality? It's two I mean, million I on paper. A, I think it's up for debate, but I think that the market would probably consensus would probably be between one and one and a half million barrels a day. So uh, you know, half of call it half of what it is on paper is maybe what the expected what the market expects it to be. And you know, hurricanes can have a very different impact um, for different commodities. And I'll give you a few examples. And so, if a hurricane like Hurricane Harvey that hit a few years back that came over Houston and just sat there and wasn't necessarily a storm surge or wind event. Um, it just dumped rain on Houston and the and that region for days. And what the impact there was is refineries actually, um, they had generators that went down, they were flooded, they couldn't operate, and it took weeks and months to get them back up operational. If you saw a market like that, that would be that would be very challenging for the consumer because products prices would be would skyrocket, right? Inventories are tight, and and that would be that would be very very um, bullish for the products market. And I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily bearish for the the crude market, but crude inventories would build, right? Because you're not you're not processing as much uh, crude oil into refined products. Um, but that would be a big negative for the economy because you get. Product prices. I mean, oil's nice and all, but I, I'm not using much oil in my day to day life. Yeah. Gas, on the other hand, uh, lots. Well, not always, but lots generally. And so that would clearly be a, a inflationary and a, a net negative macro event. I'd have to guess. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, you know, to your point, natural gas and diesel are ingrained in most most of our manufacturing processes. Gasoline, obviously, a critical component to people getting around. So, um, yeah, that would be that would be a tough one to swallow. I hope we don't have to, but I'm, I'm not not in the business of predicting hurricanes. 
But uh, on the other hand, if you had hurricanes that were knockout production in the Gulf of Mexico, either natural gas or oil, like that would be, that would be, uh, you know, a bullish crude oil event or a bullish natural gas event. And still drive products higher as well. So kind of either way. Yeah, either way. There's a, there's a lot. And, and, you know, depending on which, you know, which side of the pond you, you're kind of focused on here, you know, to the point on flooding, if you had issues in, in the Houston ship channel or you had issues at, you know, LNG export facilities, um, that would be that would be bearish for U.S. natural gas, and it would be very very bullish for European natural gas. Which is kind of so, what we've seen. We've seen that a couple so times. So I guess I guess you know, the winter could be a very very scary place for natural gas and for heating oil, um, uh, for for at least the consumers that are consuming those products. Winter is coming. Um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a minute and talk about rates here because you just opened the door for for inflation, uh, and and then and then I'll come come right back to you. Um, we had Canadian CPI this morning uh, came out at 7.7% year over year. Uh, the details were were generally strong. Uh, big gain in clothing prices. Furniture prices exploded higher again for the second time in, in just a few months. Uh, recreation prices were, were materially higher. Uh, gasoline was up 12%. We already knew that would happen. Uh, food prices were actually one area that was that were c- kind of calm, I guess. It wasn't as bad as we thought it would be, but it would, I mean, still... Still trending pretty strong there, uh, and and the risks still seem on the upside generally for inflation. I think maybe a, a little bit of good news in in oil prices coming down. Hopefully that means lower gas prices very near term, and that that maybe helps June a little bit. But uh, if what Paul is saying here, the risks still remain squarely on the upside uh, for energy, which is means squarely on the upside for for overall CPI as well. Uh, and, and and I think the hope is that by the fall we start to see some pullback in inflation. And uh, I guess they're, they're, Paul's saying that you know what if if we get a hurricane then uh, that it, it might not be that way. Uh, so it's something very much to keep on your radar. I think uh, going forward and and from a policy central bank perspective and and from a rates perspective, uh, the Bank of Canada is is going to be worried about this. I mean, if you had any doubts whether they'd go seventy five or not in July, well uh, those should be gone now. Uh, between the Fed going 75 and this crazy hot uh, inflation number, I think it's pretty much done at this point. Uh, and and just e- even if inflation wasn't hot, think about it this way: if 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 the bank were to go 50 only when closer to 75 is priced, what would happen to the Canadian dollar? And and I mean it would it would get probably trashed. And in that scenario, that means more inflation pressure. So that that's something they can't really afford at this point in time. Uh, so 75 looks looks pretty much done. I guess the question is, what where do they go from there? More hikes for sure. How high? I think we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and, and at this point, the market seems to be pretty satisfied with pricing. I'd say uh, I mean, after the CPI print, we weakened a little bit on a relative basis. We got all the way up to to fully pricing 75 basis points uh, exactly for for July at one point. Uh, that's backed off a little bit in the meantime. Uh, and and it just looks as though the market is kind of satisfied with where pricing is for the near term, and we need to actually see some of these rate hikes. We actually need to get them before we can continue to to to, to price in even more uh, in, into the front end. There, the the end point for rates right now is about three seventy five uh, before it starts to flatten out in, in Canada. So uh, still still a long way to go from here, and um, we'll we'll see if the bank can actually achieve that. As uh, we we are in for some uh, choppy. Economic times, I think, uh, especially as we get into the latter part of the year. But all of this depends on on energy. I think is 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 probably the biggest biggest factor for me, uh, both upside and downside. If if 
if oil can back off, that means lower inflation, which means fewer rate hikes, maybe lower rates, maybe a slightly lower terminal rate. It also puts more money back in, in consumers' pockets. So it, that, I mean, that's that would be a big help uh, for the outlook, I think, and, and really uh, dampen recession risks. On the flip side, oil prices go higher again. Uh, more inflation, more rate hikes, less money in people's pockets, uh, no, nothing good there. And that would only increase uh, recession risk. So uh, that, that, that's why energy is so important. That's why we have Paul here today uh, to, to really explain things to us. Uh, Paul, something that I've seen in the news lately on, uh, on, on oil in particular, and, and um, you spoke about the, the war in Ukraine a number of times. Uh, initially, I guess Russia more or less or, or increasingly cut off as time has gone by here. Uh, but it seems like it's slowly trickling the other way now. Uh, I read today uh, India is now looking to, to import more cheap Russian oil. I think part of that's probably just to battle inflation. Cheap oil certainly helps on that front. And China, uh, incrementally more and more Russian oil going into that country. Uh, is, is that helping loosen the global oil market a little bit? Uh, is there more to come there? How much, how much Russian oil is really shut in at the moment? Uh, great question. Um, currently, there's about, call it 1.2 million barrels a day of Russian oil shut in. And I'd say that that, you know, expectations when when things initially um, took off, I think were probably for more like two to three million barrels a day of, uh, of uh, production losses due to sanctions. I think that you're very right. You know, China and India are buying Russian oil at discounted prices. And I think that that's expected to continue. You know, I think what'll be interesting is, you know, as we go through the fall and kind of towards that end of year deadline with the European embargo, what does that look like? What is what is the net Russian production profile look like? Is it off two million barrels a day? Is it off three million barrels a day? And I think, you know, right now, I'd say over the last month, for example, I think consensus moved from two point eight million barrels a day to two million barrels a day of of uh, Russian production offline at year end. And so even that number is moving a lot. And, and you know, 800,000 barrels a day is a, is, is a lot of oil and it's meaningful to balances and it's meaning, meaningful to how, you know, how we view price in solving the overall problem. And so um, I think that that number will continue to be volatile. And, you know, there are logistical constraints um, that, you know, shipping, insurance, um, those types of matters that are really going to impact um, how much oil Asia can buy from Russia, but uh, but ultimately I think that you know the relationship between those countries is going to be is is one they want to kind of um, maintain, and so I do think that you know you'll see continued buying and probably increased buying um, of Russian oil by China. China can do what they want. That's, I've said that for a long time. If they want more Russian oil, they'll find a way to do it. Build more tankers, build more trucks, build another highway, all that kind of stuff. Believe it or not, folks, uh, Paul Paul trades energy, and, and and there are all sorts of, of trade ideas that he has and he puts out there. Um, I am not familiar with the energy trade myself, outside of going to the gas pump and giving them my credit card. Um, that's a one-way trade. They take my money. I smile. Uh, but Paul has good ideas here, so I'm going to ask him to share a few of those with us today. And uh, Paul, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I think, you know, we talked a lot about liquidity and we talked um, and, and how volatile this market is. And so, you know, what kind of trades you decide to put on are, are really dependent on how much pain you can take on days like Friday and days like today. Um, because, you know, the market is ruthless and it will move on thin volume. And so I'd say, 
right now, a lot of market participants have focused on the options market. Um, you know, generally they like the the defined risk, um, you know, profile of the trade. It gives them upside participation, um, you know, to the market without without betting the farm. And and so you know, to that extent, I'd say that like the most popular trades of, I mean, they're not they're not all that glamorous, but um, the market's chosen really to own call spreads because you know, as I mentioned earlier, hedging has been limited from producers, and producers are generally vol sellers. Um, as a rule. And so without them in the market, implied vols have actually been a lot higher, not only because realized have, have been higher, but because, um, you know, the flows have been more option buyers and option sellers, which is very, very different th- than I'd say the last decade, um, where you see a lot of selling of, of all. Um, and so, you know, one of the biggest trades that's been put on over the last couple of weeks has been you know the June twenty three one fifty two hundred dollar call spread, and it's traded from high to low, two dollars and twenty cents down to a dollar seventy. Um, so to give you kind of some context in terms of the risk, when you see a you know an almost twenty dollar sell off in the front, that's the kind of uh, risk profile you'd experience on something like that. And so you can see that you can deploy a lot more capital into a trade like that than you could um, just being long futures. Um, just you know, due to the due to the nature of the product, so yeah, I mean, the other the other thing that's that's pretty interesting, depending on your your long term view of oil, um, as you kind of wade through the noise here and get into like the you know the structural changes in demand and supply in the long run, you know, uh, the back end of the curve um, is a lot lower than the front given the backwardation, and so as you see volatility, you know, there are there are opportunities to to buy futures in the back end. And, and they move a lot less than the front end of the market does for obvious reasons, um, as the supply and demand picture is changing you know, pretty quickly in the front and, and a lot less quickly in the back. So those would be some of the, the things that I would think about as I was putting a, putting a position together right now. All right, cool. Uh, that, that interesting. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm um, familiar enough with oil options to, uh, <laughs> to really comment on that. But I think it's interesting that you're looking at it from a bullish perspective. I think that just kind of reinforces that view that that we uh, we share. I guess that oil prices are the risks are skewed to the upside. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how things pan out for the rest of the year. I kind of hope that we're wrong uh, because that that that's the better outcome for the global economy. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Thanks for coming on the show. Very much appreciated, and uh, I, I I do very much hope to have you on again because energy will continue to be topical. I think through the rest of this year. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular 
particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. Vimo is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause Vimo or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. Vimo is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. Emo assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and Bimo accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. Bimo assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to Bimo and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. Bimo and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, Bimo's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.